Welcome to episode 8 of the Welding Codex. In this episode, we're going to cover part C of Clause 4, Performance Qualification. The Welding Codex is a podcast for those who want to learn more about the technical side of welding. The mission of the podcast is to talk about the philosophy of welding, welding codes, welder training, welding defects, and a number other of welding-related technical topics. We're not here to teach people how to weld. We're not going to help you be a craft welder in your garage, whatever. We're going to talk codes, metallurgy, and technical subjects. That being said, in this episode, our Caped Crusaders, Peter Kinney, P-E-C-W-I, and Gary Pace, P-E-C-W-I, will continue the deep dive and mind-numbing slog through AWS D1.1 Structural Welding Code, Steel. This episode is the third part of the conversation covering Clause 4, Qualification. As previously stated, the conversation on Clause 4 was too long for one episode, so we had to break it up into bite-sized pieces. This episode covers Part C, Performance Qualification. We previously covered Procedure Qualification and General Material. So when we talk performance qualification, means we're going to talk about the qualification of welders, which is a completely different subject than qualification of welding procedures. Anyhow, thanks for joining us and enjoy. Okay, so now we're in part C, performance qualification. Performance qualification is people. That's qualifying the welders. And where a lot of people get tripped up is they'll be reading something about procedure qualification and then want to transfer it over into performance qualification or they'll read some paragraph under performance qualification and want to transfer that back into procedure qualification. If any of you have ever been in a lecture that's been given or a seminar that's been given by Walt Spurko, he's the chairman of ASME Section 9, he'll tell you that there's a wall between performance qualification and procedure qualification. You got to Keep the two walls, uh, the two sides of the wall separated. That's very important to do. You got to keep performance qualification and procedure qualification separate. And that's not just in this code. That's in any code because they have different essential variables. Performance qualification, you got four or five, six essential variables. And for procedure qualification, you could have 20 essential variables. As we dive into part C here, performance qualification, we need to realize that we're leaving everything that we just talked about in procedure qualification behind. Thoughts, Pete? No, that's exactly right. They, they are not the same and they shouldn't be misconstrued. Well, I had to do this on my PQR, so don't I have to do it as my welder qual? No, you don't. General, 415 general, the performance qualification tests required by this code are specifically devised tests to determine a welder's or a welding operator's or attack welder's ability to produce sound welds. The qualification tests are not intended to be used as guides for welding or tack welding during actual construction. The latter shall be performed in conformance with a WPS. So you can give a guy a welding procedure or performance qualification test, and that doesn't have anything to do with the WPSs he's going to be working with later. That lines it right there. And then we need to talk about 415.1, production welding positions qualified. Here's where a lot of people get tripped up too, is they'll qualify a welder, and then out in the field, the welder will be welding in a position that they are not qualified to do. Have you ever run across this, Pete? Oh, all the time. And the biggest time I think where it happens is when you got big parts 
or let's just say something in years like, hey, there's a little bit of undercut there and a part got flipped over to facilitate welding the other side and they're like, hey, I'm just going to reach right underneath here and weld it. Well, crap, we just did that in the overhead and you're qualified to weld flat and horizontal. That is where it catches up a lot of folks. Well, and another one where I used to see it was I'd have guys that would shop I worked for, for in Kentucky. We had guys that were qualified to weld uphill, and they passed the gas metal arc welding uphill test, but they couldn't pass the gas metal arc welding downhill test. And they're like, well, I can I'm, I can weld the vertical position. No, you can't. You can't go downhill. And our um, Hartford steam boiler guy, he'd always catch them. They need to grind that out. Tell him not to be doing that because I know he doesn't have a downhill cert. You need to really be um, cognizant of the qualifications that your welders have because they'll kind of run, run on that ragged edge and be like, well, I'll just slip this in and nobody will ever know. Well, a lot of times we will catch you or the third party inspector will catch it. So, and it can create a lot of problems for everybody. Just so folks know, uh, I believe it's table 410 in the 2015 and it's 610 in the 2020, and it basically lays out what position uh, the welder tested in and what they get for it. So, like example, if you qualify in the 1G or flat, you get flat in, in production. But if you qualify, let's say, 2G, which you get flat and horizontal, and building on 3G is similar, you get flat, horizontal, and vertical. 4G, you only get flat and overhead so that one's a little different some people always want to throw in horizontal and in a 4g qual uh, to get all of those you've got to do uh, 3g and 4g this is all plate uh, because in pipe you can also throw in a 5g or a 6g to uh, complicate it a little bit more right and as you're testing your welders a lot of times you want to this gets back to philosophy you want to make sure and get the most bang for your buck in qualification of welders as far as positions and thicknesses because you're going to chew up a lot of time qualifying people. So if you can get it down to, you know, I can give this guy three or four tests to get what I need from them, then you're good to go. All right, Pete. So let's say I give a welder a plate test. Is he just confined to welding plate or is there any diameter of pipe that he's going to be able to weld if I give a welder a plate test? You can, Gary. In table 410, I believe it might be note C. In table 610, it's note B. But if you did plate, you're qualified to weld pipe in that same position 24 inches or greater. And the thought process behind that is at a certain point, a big circle becomes a a flat plate for all intensive purposes. So that's right. and 24 inches is used as that cutoff. Right. So if you give a guy a plate test or a gal, I use a guy as my generic pronoun, but if you give a welder a test on plate, they can also weld on pipe 24 inch or greater because at, once you get to a certain diameter, like Pete was saying, it just turns into a big piece of plate. It's just flat. You're not doing anything different in that regard. It's not like you're welding a two inch piece of pipe. 24 inch piece of pipe for all intents and purposes is just a big piece of plate. 
and you got to use backing. It doesn't allow you to do any open route or any of that. You got to use backing, back gouging, or both. So that covers table 4.10. It pretty much does. Uh, and if you're doing box tubing, you're allowed to do box tubing as well, but you got to look at there's a lot of little footnotes in there that can trip you up. So make sure you're looking at your footnotes if you're going to be doing box tubing or square or rectangular. Yeah, any of that tubing. Before you go down the tubing rabbit hole, you need to have your act together. I would make sure and read that and talk to people and get my act together if I had to do any kind of job with tubing in regards to TYK connections, like Pete said, square tubing, rectangular tubing, any of that. You want to have your act together in regards to doing any kind of box tube welding. Yeah, and maybe sometime in the future, maybe we'll just do a deep dive on TYKs because those, those are a, a different animal all to themselves. All right, we'll put that on our list. If we don't go broke on this podcast by the time we get to it, we'll we'll put that on our list of things to do. All right, where are we going, Pete? Um, we have, we've gone over positions for for welders uh, we can go over qualifications real quick like actually what the test you have to do and they're similar to pqrs but just a smaller version for the mechanical specimens it's normally one or two bends that are required for the test plate so like one face one root or two side bends it's it's a reduced scope for them okay so when we're qualifying welders we're talking 416 the type of qualification tests required and i'm reading out of 2015 for welders and welding operators the type and number of qualification tests required for welders or welding operators shall conform to table 411 so there's details in there so you got to do a visual inspection you got to look at it and make sure it you know passes the visual requirements you can do face root or side bend tests macro etch depending on what's going on or a fillet weld break depending on what what your configuration is if it's just a fillet weld tester test that you're giving the guys then you're not going to be able to do a bend test well there's a caveat in here in 416.1.1 substitution of rt for guided bend tests except for joints welded by gas metal arc welding short arc so here we're getting back to our good friend gas metal arc welding short arc you have to do a bend test when you're qualifying welders with that process pete can you explain why gas metal arc welding short circuiting we can't use radiographic testing the reason we can't do it is the short arc process is much lower heat input and you can run into lack of fusion which may not be readily viewable on the radiograph but it will open up really quick on a bend test so it, we discussed this previously. Why does gas metal arc welding short circuiting get such a bad rap in the welding world? Well, it gets back to lack of fusion, not being de- able to deposit sound weld metal in there and get it to tie in. If you've ever seen a, a bend test, I've seen them just snap and they'll snap right along that fusion line. That's why the code has said, no, you could put in a nice looking weld with gas metal arc short circuiting, but that same weld will also snap and it might not have the mechanical properties that you want to have as a finished product. So that's why you can't do RT. RT isn't going to catch lack of fusion or 
any of the other mechanical issues that might be involved with short circuiting. Right, Pete? That's correct, Gary. All right. So that's why we can't use RT. You're going to have to use guided bend desks. So for the rest of it, there's, you know, for tack welders, there's a couple of different things that we can do with tack welding as far as, but I'm not going to get into that. Most of the time I've just tested welders with the, you know, the complete joint penetration and call it good. And then you, you're all qualified for tack welding anyways. Okay. So we're going to look at table 412, which is the welding personnel performance essential variable changes requiring requalification. So this is the essential variables for qualifying a person. A lot of times people get confused and, hey, my welder's not qualified to weld that. He didn't qualify to that WPS. Doesn't matter. There's about five or six or seven. Here there's listed seven essential variables that you need to address for welders and welding operators. First one is the process. You've got, if I qualify a guy with shielded metal arc welding, stick welding, that's what he's qualified for. He doesn't get to weld with TIG, electro slag, whatever. If I qualify a guy with flux core, that's what he gets to weld with. Position, diameter, or thickness qualified. So the thickness is one. That's a one that'll hang people up. Well, I qualified this guy on quarter inch. Why can't he weld unlimited? Well, you didn't follow the rules and you didn't qualify him on the correct thickness. Emission of backing. Backing is a big one. Did he did he do an open route or did he use with backing or back gouging? And then Welding operators, multiple electrodes, that's generally um, falls in the submerged arc welding. Pete, is there any weird caveats on this table in regards to our good friend, once again, short-circuiting, short-circuiting gas metal arc? That is, uh, it's the first one to, uh, to a process not qualified. And GMAW-S, or short-circuit, is considered a separate process than spray arc in the short in the GMAW world. You could almost look at it as there's two columns: GMAW, GMAW-S. So that that is treated separately. And you'll see this as a common theme among most welding codes. ASME section nine is the same way, where gas metal arc short circuiting, basically with 045 wire is anything under 20, 21 volts, that's one qualification. And then you have anything over that is a different qualification. And I've been in shops and had to get on people about, he's not qualified to run that. And it's like, yeah, he is. He's got MIG qualifications. No, he's not qualified to run short circuit. Well, number one, you guys don't have a procedure to run short circuit. And number two, He's running short circuit, and he's not qualified to run short circuit. So this is a, an area where people get in trouble because the welder has the ability to crank down that wire feed speed and crank down the voltage low enough to get that metal to flow in there how they want in a certain situation. But they might not be following the WPS and depositing weld metal that's sound and falls within the criteria of that job. Okay, if you notice on the table, there's two different columns or three different columns there. We got welders, welding operators, and tack welders. They're three different animals for the most part. Each one has a different criteria that separates it from the other. And as Pete will explain, the difference is manual manipulation of the arc. The difference between welders and welding operators is the operator is operating a 
more of a machine-based welding process. Most submerged arc is a machine process. You have a tractor moving along. You got a side boom. Those, or you could even have a, a GMAW on on a tractor. Those are all machine where the operator can adjust them as they're moving along, but he is not manipulating the arc by hand. Handheld sub arc would be a welder. Uh, like I said, that's not common, does exist. So that's the quick and dirty differencing between, uh, between those two. Okay, in 2015, it's 4.24 retests. I'm going to read this and then we'll talk about it. When a welder, welding operator, or tack welder either fails qualification test or if there is a specific reason to question their welding abilities or period of effectiveness has lapsed, the following shall apply. So for 424.1, welding and welding operator retest requirements. So there's a situation, let's say you've got a welder who's just, you've worked with him before and you know this guy is the greatest welder since they invented canned pickles, right? And you give him the immediate, you say, he busts a test and you're like, well, I need this guy on the job. He's that good. You can give him an immediate retest and an immediate retest may be consisting of two welds for each type and position that the welder or welding operator failed. All retest specimens shall meet all of the specified requirements. So you can do a two for one. If the dude busted a 6G pipe weld test, you can give him an immediate retest, but he's got to go for two for one. And then there's the retest after further training or practice. A retest may be made provided there is evidence that the welder or welding operator has had further training or practice. A complete retest of the types and positions failed or in question may be made. So Pete, for you want to touch base on both of those, immediate retest and the retest after further training and testing? What does that sure. further training or testing mean? Well, um, in the 2020, it's moved to uh, 651 is where all the welder and uh, w uh, welding operator retest requirements are. Uh, you're right. The immediate retest is for someone that you know, I mean, could be a ringer and just who knows, had a bad day. Someone cut them off uh, driving to work and it's just, it wasn't in the cards for that. Two for one, goes through, no problems, done deal. Uh, the retest after further training, that is one that the welder has to go through and it could be going through and doing practice welds under supervision of a more experienced welder. Uh, it could be a combination of maybe some classroom training about if, let's say, the failure might have been on bad joint prep for cleanliness. There's a, a lot of different ways that one can be handled. But the biggest thing is it requires it to be documented. But it doesn't really allude to what documentation has to be done. That's... Uh, a possible point of contention. So I would really look at over-documenting the situation than under-documenting it. And a document would be, it can't just be, oh, he talked to so-and-so and he spent a day with them. I would write down who they spent the day with, the general activities that they did, practice welds done, and maybe even if you had some, even if practice welds might have been radiographed or UT inspected, have the results of that in in that documentation to really solidify it, especially to a persnickety client that doesn't reads the gray area in their favor. 
that would be my guidance on that. And on any of these, uh, in the D1, you can always try to look in the back in the commentary to see if there's anything that, that helps provide further explanation. Unfortunately, on this one, there's nothing there. So you're on your own to come up with what is documented training. And my interpretation of that is, you know, and I'm going to boil it down. Pete was a lot more in depth, but to me, you just got to act like a grown up. You got to document it. And like Pete said, you got to, you know, you can't just write it on a, the back of a bar napkin and say, yeah, he was with Fred all day. If I'm sending a guy in for a retest, okay, he did this from seven to 10 o'clock. He was doing this kind of welding. He was welding uphill. He used this much. He was welding with 7018. He was welding to this weld procedure. And then at noon, we came back. We did a bunch of flux core welding. He welded with this filler metal in this position for this long. Get it all documented down. You know, something that you can, you know, looks like a grown-up did it. Have it presentable to the client or the third-party individual, depending on how, like Pete said, persnickety they are in regards to this. But, you know, it's just being an adult and keeping some paperwork around. And the immediate retest, that's just a two-for-one. And if they fail the two for one, you got to go and give them some further training or practice. There's, it's not, none of it's rocket surgery, but you do have to document it and you do have to act like a grown up, and you do have to have a file folder with some, or a notebook or somewhere with this information stashed. Gary, we're going to talk about a, a new, a new part in the 2020 edition. It's 628 combining flux core self-shielded with other welding processes in a single joint. And this goes over, if you're using self-shielded flux core, which is mainly used in the field where if you're working on some tall red iron or something, you don't have to worry about the wind as much. You don't have to worry about a gas hose. It, it eliminates some complexity uh, to the situation. But when you're welding with this process, since you're not using a gas shield, you have to throw a lot of the oxidizers into the flux that help basically pull out oxygen out of the out of the weld and make good weld metal and that's that's like silicon uh magnesium and there's some or manganese and there's some other other items that manufacturers throw in there so when you combine that with let's say another process sometimes that intermixed zone doesn't react as well as we would think it would be like if we were welding 7018 and then we piled on top uh ER70-6 or 71T1, we wouldn't really think a whole lot about uh, worrying about the mixing of the two filler metals. But with shelf-shielded flux core, we have to. So this section of the code walks us through how we test it in the joint. And basically, you have to use the two filler metals that are in play and perform CVN testing on the test plate to make sure it comes out all right. To help you on this, what I would recommend is trying to buy your your consumables from the same manufacturer. Like if you want to run Lincoln self-shielded, I would buy Lincoln of whatever the other consumable is and see if they already have done the testing to say, hey, these product A and product B, they're, they work together. That gives you a lot of your proverbial warm and fuzzy that you'll have success on your test. Or it might be those two don't work well together 
because of you're using one with one deoxidizer, one with something else, we've run into problems. Maybe you need to use material or product C instead. So it's definitely something that we need to be cautious of and when you're running self-shielded flux core. All right. So that pretty much wraps up Clause 4 in 2015 or Clause 6 in 2020. What I was going to say on our way out the door here, Pete, with this podcast, and it can't be overstated enough, is you really have to understand that there's a lot of important information in the tables at the end of this clause, starting with table 4.1, WPS qualification, production welding positions. And then it goes on into all of the tables that we discussed with essential variables that are associated with CVNs, and then unlisted steels, code approved base metals, These different tables and figures will really trip you up. There's also some down here at the end in regards to filler metals and electrode classification groups is one that's big for shielded metal arc welding. That and this comes into play when you're using when a welder's qualifying. So if I qualify a welder with an F4 material, which would be something like an E7018, that welder also gets to weld with filler material like an E. 7024 or an E7028. So that's something you need to realize too when you're qualifying your welders. If if you qualify with 7018, you can also weld with 6010, 7012 or 7024. That's a table that is pretty much just involved in shielded metal arc welding, but it's an important table. And then as you go down here further, You've got all the positions, the classification of positions, tells you, you know, 2G, 4G, you know, these are in every welding code ever, 1F, 2F, positions for fillet welds and all those. And then you've got the slicing, how you slice and dice your different test plates. Those are all listed in there too. A lot of times if I'm dealing with a lab, I'll type up what I want done and then I'll send them a little picture and, you know, where in the code to find it and how I want my material sliced and diced for the tests if they don't know or if I've never worked with them before. But anyways, there's a lot of information in there as far as, you know, the types of different bends and just a whole bunch of information. Pete, side note, I know we're talking about the code, but let's say a guy goes and takes the CWI exam. Are these tables and these figures of any importance or do those questions come up in the code section? So it's been a good number of years now uh, since I've taken that test, but I do remember having some questions on all of these uh, tables for uh, for it. And even in the make-believe test, I thought there was something uh, on that as well. If you qualified with this, what do you get? So these tables or some format of these tables exist in that test and also uh, in other codes. So it's not going to be the first time you see them. Yeah, the bottom line is you need to be able to navigate them and digest what you're looking at. Okay, am I looking at a welder qualification test plate? Am I looking at a procedure qualification test plate? What am I looking at? They've got everything drawn out here. There's a bazillion different locations for CVN testing, whatever. There's all kinds of different pictures and tables and figures that all pertain to some paragraph in that clause. And you need to be able to navigate those and be able to find the correct one that goes with the paragraph that sends you there. So that's a little trip a lot of people up to is just being able to navigate this. Anything to say on our way out, Pete? Anything I missed? 
Not that I can think of, Gary. I think we've done a, a good overview. And if there's any questions, uh, send them on in, uh, especially if there's something that either we didn't cover in depth enough or we didn't cover at all. Uh, let us know and uh, we can we can handle that up in another uh, podcast. Yeah, make sure and send us an email if you think there's something that you want us to cover or not to cover. And we'll uh, we'll send that, we'll sit down and discuss it. Obviously, Pete and I don't have lives and we really enjoy talking about welding codes. But yeah, all joking aside, we do enjoy talking about <laughs> welding codes and this is what we do. And if we can pass on some of our knowledge or lessons learned to the greater population of humanity, we'll do that. Thanks for listening. Hope this podcast was worth listening to. We're going to have more content coming out. Also, if you want to shoot me an email, gpacex at gmail.com. Give me some ideas or maybe there's some questions that you'd like me and Pete or me and Joel to answer in regards to welding, welding codes, filler material, or any other material joining question that you might think we have a shot in hell of answering. Anyways, thanks for listening. Take care. Pace out. If you like these podcasts, stop by my website, texasweldingengineering.com, and go to the donation page. Use PayPal. Throw me a dollar or two so that the next time we hit the local Dairy Queen, we can get a large chocolate chip cookie dough blizzard. Also, if you're looking for CWI training at a reasonable price, check out train-eng.com. Also, if you're not familiar with my YouTube channel, there's a bunch of YouTube videos on there. If you just do a Google search under Gary Pace Welding ASME or AWS D1.1, there's a bunch of videos on there. Check those out too if you're interested.